The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Let's take our Bible church and uh, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter number 5, we'll continue our walk through this book today. Ecclesiastes 5, what a wonderful day to be worshiping the Lord together. Kind of reminds me, uh, you know, the last Sunday of each month we have our family worship day, so we try and involve our children, youth, and everybody in between uh, in, uh, in worship. But today, just have a little bit of everybody, and so appreciate the good worship, the good songs. While you're turning to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, I want to uh, remind all of our people that Vacation Bible School is coming up. Right out in the foyer at the welcome desk, we have these little business cards. They're great. I, I put them in my wallet, they fit in your pocket, in your wallet, your purse. I would love for all of our people to get some of these on your way out and just kind of inundate our whole area with Vacation Bible School cards. And so if you're going to go to lunch after this or stop at the gas station or sometime this week with your coworkers and friends and family and neighbors, just give them one of these on the back. You'll find all of the times for Vacation Bible School, church address and website. And so please pick these up on your way out. I'll try to mention that at the end. And uh, that'll be a great way to do outreach uh, in our neighborhood. Ecclesiastes 5. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, we also want to extend a thank you. We're glad that you're here. We want everybody here to understand that we are uh, the same as you, just normal people. Our feet are made of clay as well too. And uh, we are imperfect, but we have found a perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, He has helped us. He has saved us. And He is restoring our marriages and our families and our lives and our workplace and all that we do. Christ Jesus truly is the answer to all of our problems. And so we want you to know you have found a place of healing and grace. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Let me read just these first seven verses for us, if I would, and then we'll pray together. So chapter 5, verse 1 through 7 reads this way. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of the fool through many words." When you make a vow to God, do not be late in praying it, for paying him, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. I want to pray for us, but as you're kind of bowing your heads and closing your eyes to pray for a moment, um, I'm not sure how much time you've had to pray this week. And maybe you're here and you're an unbeliever or say, I, I really don't want to pray. But maybe this uh, will be an opportunity. I'm going to take maybe 10 or 15 seconds just to be quiet and silent before God. And I'd like for all of you just to maybe 
Uh, Take in a breath and be quiet before the Lord, quiet in your own mind, and ask that the Lord would speak to you through this text. And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, maybe just ask that you would be honest and humble, and no matter where you are in life, that you would allow this text to speak to you. So, would you pray with me? Our Father, we do come to You, and we thank You for the opportunity to worship You today. And it's probably appropriate that we take that moment to be quiet in light of the words that are in this text, that we would not always be quick to speak, but we would be quick to listen. And I I must confess, probably along with my friends that are here today, that when I pause, even for that brief of a time, my mind is racing upon what comes next and what's later this afternoon and what about the rest of the week and family and food and all of these things. And probably good for me to be still before You and for us to admit that we need You. And so, Lord, I pray that You would speak to us from Your Word. I pray for believers in this room that the members of this church, that there would be just a constant and consistent simple message from Scripture today that we would be able to walk away with and apply to our hearts and that Your Spirit would help us every day this week to to remember what we hear and learn and to appropriate that with the help of the Spirit of God through the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray for my friends that are here today that are unbelievers, maybe critical, maybe they're visiting with a family member or I pray that their hearts would be softened and honest and humble. And I pray that You would introduce them to Your Son and that they would find Him to be not only the help for their life, but the help for their soul. And that they would trust You today. We love You and we thank You for it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been walking our way through this book of Ecclesiastes, and you remember I told you that, uh, you know, kind of the resounding theme of this book is, in some of your translations, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, or uh, meaningless, or whatever vexation may be. And I told you that that word in the Hebrew language is the word hebel. It is the word for able. And you find that in Genesis chapter number uh, 4. And so, it really, Ecclesiastes is a commentary on Genesis 3 and 4. It is what life is like outside of the garden. Uh, both Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden, in the very presence of God, following him, loving him in the cool of day, worshiping the God of heaven. And then they were disobedient. They sinned against God. They went their own way, decided to be their own God, to follow their own path in life. And the very next thing that happens is they are kicked outside of the garden. And what happens when you have life outside of the garden? Meaninglessness, absurdity, vanity, vexation. For next comes the story of uh, two boys, and one boy's sacrifice is acceptable before God, and the other boy's sacrifice is not acceptable before God, and God even gives him an opportunity to correct that, to make it right, and rather than getting angry with God, rather than even doing it his own way, he gets mad and takes the life of his brother, and that is the world that we live in outside of the garden, and so we want to say, and when we come to a book like this, the author is trying to say that if you live life life apart from God, all will be wrong. 
And we've uh, been discussing that, talking about how the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of relationships and the pursuit of anything outside of God first will often lead to destruction. And here we find ourselves in these seven verses that the author here of Ecclesiastes says, not only out there at arm's distance in the world is all this a futile effort, but within the realms of the church, within the time of worship, if you pursue it in the wrong way, if you do it apart from God in His presence, even your worship will be vanity and absurdity. And so I want to give you just maybe five or six simple points today. I wish I had a deeper sermon for you today, but I just want to lay these points out here from you for the text and I pray that the Lord would move these in your heart. So you follow along. You can kind of circle or jot these down as we go. Here's the first point from verse number 1. Be careful not to be casual when you come to worship God. Let me say that again. Be careful not to be casual when you come to worship God. Now in a church like this with a rich history of 66 years and people on one end of the spectrum and children and youth on the other end of the spectrum and we've got a multi-generational church like here, there's a little bit of a caveat that needs to be said. I think some people they in our church right here, they would heartily amen a statement like that. That's right, Pastor. We ought not to be casual on our worship. Uh, that way we uh, everybody ought to dress in a suit and a tie. We ought to play the organ every single week. It should be high church music, the hallelujah and the doxology every single week. I want to say to you that if that's your heart today, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not talking necessarily about all of these outward trappings and preferences. It's that when we come to worship God, when we come into this place together, or when you enter into a time of worship individually or with your family, or here in the heart of the life of the church, that we don't come with a heart that is casual to God, a heart of nonchalance, a heart that just walks in and crosses your arms and says, who's here and what do they look like and what did we sing and did I like it and were there enough people here today? But there is a, not a casualness in our heart, but a seriousness before God that we give Him everything that we have from the very fiber of our being, our heart and our mind and our soul and our body, that all that we have goes to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If there's a ditch to fall on that side there of being too high church, that we had to say, well, no, not everything has to be that way. But I want to say this to my other end of the extreme. I want to say, listen, if you bebop into church and you think that it's just a matter of holding a cup of coffee in your hand and singing Kumbaya and we just relax and play around, I want you to understand that's a wrong way to worship God as well too. The issue is not so much the outward trappings of religion as it is the matter of your heart. And I just want to ask and maybe put a little premature application in your heart today and say, did you enter into this room today to sing with every fiber of your being? Did you come here to pray with all that you have? When the children were, were singing and playing, were you praying that God would teach them and train them and grow them in the things of Christ so that when, you're, when they are your age, they won't be long gone from church? Did you listen to the choir and worship along with them? Did you listen to the preaching with a heart that says, change me or are you here to play games? Why are you here? 
I see some of you looking around to see who's here and who's not right now. Well, let's just get real, people. I just want to say, be careful not to be casual when you worship God. He is the King of all creation. He made every star and every planet and every galaxy and every blade of grass. He knows the hairs on your head and every sparrow in the world that will fall today. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it would be a travesty for us to stand and sing the hallelujah chorus in honor of the King of creation and have our hearts and minds anywhere else but bowing down before Him and offer Him worship and praise and the transformation of our own hearts. So I just want to say to us, no matter what kind of thread you wear, every human being is welcome in this church. Rich and poor, black or white, and everybody in the middle, you're welcome here. But I want all of our believers to understand that when we come to worship God, whether individually or whether corporately, we don't come casually. We come bowing our hearts and minds and souls before the King of creation, worshiping Him for giving His Son and giving His Spirit and giving His life so that we could have new life and eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Alright? Here's the second point. First of all, I got that from verse 1. Look what it says there. Guard your steps. And really kind of watch your steps. Keep your steps, right? Guard your steps and go to the house of God. You see, it's just saying there, be serious when you go. Don't take it casually. And then look what it says. And draw near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice of fools. So here's the second statement I want to make. Be ready to learn, not impress, when you come to worship God. Be ready to learn and not impress when you come to worship God. Look what it says again. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen. The word here is to learn, to soak in, to take in what is being taught to you. Rather, you see the contrast here, come to learn rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. You know what the sacrifice of fools simply is here is when you're looking to impress people with your knowledge and who you are and what you know and your stature and status and pecking order in life. And isn't that the, what we are guilty of sometimes, church? That when we come to church, we really come sometimes because we want people to see us. We want people to hear us. We want people to take notice of who we are and what we know. In fact, we want to be in front of people. And if not that, we want to be the center of conversations. We want to express to people how much we know of the Word of God and how spiritual we are and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I want to say to you, that's the sacrifice of fools. When we come to worship God, we come to learn. And you know what a prerequisite to learning is? Humility. And if you, uh, you know, even our graduates, you know, some of them are getting ready to go on to college and, and all that kind of stuff. I will say to all of us today, if you don't have a spirit of humility about you, you're going to offer the sacrifice of fools rather than learn. And when we come to worship God together, one of the fundamental things is that we come here not to impress people with what we know or who we are. 
We come here to express humility and to say, God, help us. Teach us. In fact, you've heard me say it before, but I say to all of us here today, right now, just as I'm talking to you and we're kind of chatting together as a family, if you can't think right now in your life, if you can't think of four or five major sins in your life that need to be laid down before God and changed, something's wrong with you. And probably if you can't think of that right now, the greatest sin of your life is pride. We're bad people in need of the grace of a good God, right? And if you're here, it doesn't matter to me whether you're 10 or 90. I don't care whether it's the first day you've ever stepped into church or if you built this place, you're a sinner. And when you come into God's presence, when you come to worship Him corporately and individually and with your family, there ought always to be a spirit of humility that says, God, teach me and train me and mold me and conform me to the image of Christ. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The whole heart of a Christian is to be humble. The one time Jesus said anything about His own personal character is when He said, I am meek and lowly. Jesus said, my essence and character as the God-man is one of humility. Shouldn't ours be that way? When we come to worship God, if we want to see the presence of God and His power, if we want unbelievers to trust Him, then we don't come here kind of putting our thumbs in our proverbial suspenders saying, look at what I have accomplished and look at how spiritual I am. I don't care what committee you sit on. And let me tell you something, lest you think I'm being mean to you, I don't care what pastoral position you have. And if you don't have a disposition to learn when you come to the house of God, if you don't have the disposition of humility when you come in the presence of God, then you're your own God. And you're worshiping the wrong one. When you come before the presence of the Almighty God of heaven, you always come low. Hmm. I just want to sit that in your lap and ask you this last week with your friendships, with your work relationships, with your family, with the leadership in your church, with your teachers, with your parents. Have you had a disposition of humility and coming to God to learn? Or have you always been coming to teach? Or to impress. Here's a small little way that you can apply and work on this this week. All right? When you're in a conversation with somebody, I want you to, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind how many times when you're talking with somebody are you thinking more about what you want to say than what they're saying. Right? Isn't that the way that we are? Most of the time when you're in a conversation with somebody, you're thinking about how you want to respond to what they're saying rather than honestly listening and understanding and validating what that human being is speaking to you, created in the image of God that has value from God, listening to them. That would be a way to worship God through learning and listening and humility. And when you come to God's house to worship Him, we come in the same way. Not just to gain factual knowledge, but to humble our hearts and say, Lord, how dare I think I'm better than anybody else? How dare I say I'm better than that? 
I'm coming here because I need to be conformed to Jesus' image. Let me give you just a few more statements and we'll finish for today. So look down at verse number 2. I think this is really helpful for us. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. Good night. Does that not hit us all right square between the eyes? We all speak more than we should and we're all impulsive thinkers. And then look what it says here. To bring up a word or a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. What you need to know there is the author is not saying so much spatially difference as if he's way out in the stars and, and that we're down here on earth. He's talking about in authority and power and deity. And so we would understand that uh, Jesus would say, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is closer than the breath that you breathe. But God is eternally greater and beyond us. And so it it is not so much our words that count as it is listening to the voice of God. Here's the third thing I would say to us. Be silent in His presence when you come to worship God. Now, I need to make a caveat there. I need to say something. There are usually two responses in the Bible to the presence of God. Sometimes we will read in the Bible that when God's presence comes, there is shouting and rejoicing and adoration and praise and worship. When the temple is built and the train of the Spirit of God is in the temple, there is a great rejoicing. And when they cross the Red Sea and God's presence is there, Moses and Miriam and Aaron, they burst out into song with all of the children of Israel. In fact, the, uh, the closing five chapters of the book of Psalms is always about this great worship and adoration adoration and praise of the presence of God. That is one thing. And that is, we want to always have that. That's why when we come together as worship, we do sing and we do praise God and we worship Him and we pray together in fellowship because we want our adoration and praise to go up. But I want to say that often neglected in the Bible that is in the presence of God, there is silence. And if you're the kind of person that cannot be silent before God for more than a minute, something is wrong in your soul. There is a craving and a desire for control and power. Try it. Here's a little, here's, here's something for you. Go home this afternoon. Sit down in a chair that has a straight back. Get in a rested position and try and be quiet and sit in the same position for more than a minute and a half. And you'll fidget. You'll move. You'll cross your legs. You'll thump your fingers. You'll do a whole bunch of things. You know why? Because anxiety and fear and hunger for control are running throughout even your physical body. Try and Take one minute and focus solely on God and His presence with you. And you'll find that after about 15 to 20 seconds, your mind is everywhere else. I want to encourage you to develop a habit of learning to be silent before God. You say, Steve, why, why would I do that? Uh, a couple of things. One... Learn to be silent before God because the text says that His words matter more than yours. And it would be good for all of us to learn that truth. 
that what I say, and yeah, I know this is hard for me, I'm the one preaching to us today, but I say this as a family. What I have to say is not as important as what God has to say. And it'll be a way to teach yourself that truth. Be silent before God because you would rather be doing anything else but that. And what it will teach you is that your significance and value is not in what you do, but it's in who you are before God. I know. I know some of my A-type personality people in here and my to-do list people, you'll struggle with that. In fact, what you'll want to do is to go into a time of silence and make sure that you've read the right verses and prayed the right prayers and done all of these kinds of things. You'll do anything but just sit and be quiet before God because you want to do something rather than be someone. All right. Let me give you another statement. We'll move pretty quickly. Look at the text if you would. Verse 3 says, For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of fools through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. Can I just make this statement to you? Be aware that He takes your commitment seriously when you come to worship Him. Be aware that God takes your commitment seriously when you come to worship Him. You might not be taking it seriously, but He is. The Bible says there that it would be better not to vow, be better not to make a promise to God than to make it and not keep it. And I just want to stop and pause for a moment and maybe just kind of leave that hook in your soul for a minute as a believer and say this, God takes your commitment to Him seriously. If you went to work as much as you come to church, would you still have your job? If you spoke to your wife as much as you speak to God in prayer, would you still have a wife? What kind of commitments have you made to Jesus? I want to urge you to keep those. To take worship of God seriously. Because He does. And He will hold you accountable for it. I want to speak into this for a moment. We'll finish up. Here's how the Gospel comes in at that point. Every human being in this room and around the world has broken promises. We've broken promises to each other. We've broken promises to our children. We've broken promises to our bosses. In fact, we're the kind of people who habitually break promises. And the Bible says in the book of James that you have broken one point of the law. You've broken every point of the law. How weighty and how difficult and how big of an albatross around our neck is that to be thrown into the ocean and to be taken down to the bottom that there is no hope. We have all failed and come short of the glory of God. And I want to tell you, if you think that you can live a good enough life or make enough promises or keep enough good to God to get to heaven, just live a few more weeks and you'll find how much of a failure you are. But the truth is this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? 
Jesus died on the cross because Steve Tillis is a promise breaker. Jesus died on the cross because He knew I could never fulfill all of my promises to Him. And the Bible says these beautiful words in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now, not in the future, not in heaven, right now. There is therefore now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do weak in it what it was. Jesus did for us fulfilling all of the promises of the law for you and for me I want to tell you today if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're tired of trying to make it on your own come to him and he'll save you if you're here today and a believer and you say man I, I really need to take seriously my commitments to the Lord come to Jesus and he will enable you I make these final two statements and we'll be finished for today we'll walk into our Lord's Supper be watchful that your mouth doesn't get you into trouble when you come to worship God. Yeah, you see that in verse number 6? Do not let your speech cause you to sin. Aren't we all guilty of that? Be careful when you worship God that your mouth doesn't get you into trouble. My mouth gets me into trouble all the time and so does yours. Be careful about that. And here's the last one. Be filled with awe when you come to worship God. Look at verse number 7. For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. He's basically saying, man, there's a lot of emptiness in the world, but rather, look at this contrast, but rather, fear God. Fear God. Trust Him. Be in awe of Him. Hey, people, church, all of you here today, the driving force behind and what undergirds all of our worship should be a healthy awe and reverence and fear of the God of the universe and His good Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're not walking with the Lord faithfully, it's because you're not fearing God greatly. I want to uh, encourage you not to live your life on automatic pilot, but to spend a little bit of time every day reminding yourself that you are not God and He is. And be in awe of His creation and in awe of His salvation and in awe of everything that He does for you every day and seek to worship Him individually and in your family and together corporately in a right and a good way. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.